Hey everybody, this is Eric Krasno and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is episode 17, believe it or not, and we started this about a month into quarantine, so it's been a while. A lot of us are still hunkered down, as they say. I consider myself very lucky for a couple of reasons. One is I just came back from Montana, went on a fishing trip and was out on the river and got into nature, got to take my mask off for multiple days straight, saw some bald eagles, went fishing, went on long hikes, went to very remote regions and uh, breathed some very fresh air for a few days and at one point basically forgot the craziness that was in the world and came back very, very refreshed. Got to work on a little bit of music. I've been working on a new album with a co-producer by the name of Otis McDonald. I urge you all to check him out. Yeah, so I feel like I'm in a good place. I've been able to have a creative outlet. I've been able to get away. And uh, of course, I feel very blessed for that. But that being said, I want to give a shout out to all the people that are actually on the front lines dealing with COVID, the nurses, the doctors, um, people that really have to go to work and battle this uh, pandemic that is going on. Also, the people that are out there protesting and gathering and organizing and speaking out for change. Even though there's so many reasons to be frustrated and angry right now, I do feel that things will change. And as long as we all speak up, and I, I urge everyone to get out and vote right now. Uh, and it's obvious that we need real leadership. And the only way to do that is to use the power of our voices and our votes. Um, if you have any questions, please go to headcount.org. You can go there and find out about absentee ballots and whatever information you need to get your vote counted. So once again, go to headcount.org. So we have a very special guest on the show today. Every once in a while, you come across a voice that just completely blows your mind. And in 2011, I believe it was, my manager sent me a video of Alan Stone performing one of his original songs. Soul was just pouring out of him. And obviously him being this white guy with long hair and glasses, it didn't really make sense to me at first, but that actually drew me in even more. I was so curious about this guy. And so I instantly started listening to other songs of his. And I think my manager connected us, uh, my business manager who worked with him. And we started talking and he actually was a fan of Soul Live and we became friends and we brought him out to Brooklyn Bowl to perform with Soul Live at our yearly event called Bowl Live where we feature different artists. Now, most of these artists are familiar to the crowd and to the fans that are at the shows. But with Alan, it was one of those really special moments where they didn't recognize him and they were curious about what was going on. And when he started singing, they were totally entranced and completely engaged in what was going on. Obviously, he's an incredible singer, but beyond that, his charisma on stage, and even in front of an audience that didn't really know him, he was able to pull them in 
And by the end, they were everyone in that room was a fan of Alan Stone. But beyond that, for me, he was just a really, really great person. And I got to know him really well over the next few years. We recorded together, we wrote together. So it made perfect sense to reach out to him, to have him on the podcast. And since I've gotten to know him, he's grown so much as a performer and as a writer. I really urge everyone to go check out his albums and even more so to see his live show. So many great songs, such a great, great band. And now he's really built a following all over the world. So very thankful that he was able to get on the show today. He's a great songwriter, a guitarist, an incredible vocalist. Please welcome today's Plus One, Alan Stone. Where are you right now? Are you you're like outside of Seattle somewhere? Yeah, so I'm on the other side of the state, closer oh, okay. to where I grew up, Spokane. You've been through Spokane. Oh, okay, so you're in Spokane. All right. Yeah, yeah, that's where. Chihuila. Do am I saying that right? Chihuila. Yeah, yeah, you nailed it on the head. I nailed it. Chihuila, Washington, and it's a, it's a, um, it's an old Native American tribe. Gotcha. Uh, and reservation, uh. Kind of like most of the Pacific Northwest names, man. There's so right. many Kennewick and uh, Cooley, Cooley City. and Actually, I don't know if Cooley City is a Native American term. Um, I'm kind of just blowing it out my tailpipe right now, but Chihuahua <laughs> definitely is. <laughs> and that's where you grew up, right? I mean, you were, were you born there? and Yep. Yeah. Yep. Born and raised, man. All the first 18 years of my life was was in Chihuahua, Washington. Small town, too. Um, 1,100 people, one stoplight. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, dude. No, like the – in order to get music, I guess kind of when I was coming up, the internet was just starting. But yeah. up in Chihuahua, you know, I was living in there. I was living up in Chihuahua from 2013 to 2000. I think 16 is when we moved to Spokane. Right. Okay. And I, we still couldn't get reliable internet up there. Crazy. So, you know, growing up as a kid, man, getting music up there, getting, getting anything besides the radio was, was, a was a task. Right. Right. (laughs) Everything was more precious. And how did you find music? I mean, I know you sang in church, right? And your, your, did your dad, he ran a church. Is that the Mm -hmm. story? Yeah. Yeah, so Pops was a executive pastor of a, a little community church just outside of Chihuahua in an even smaller province called Addy. Okay. Um, he uh, he got a job fresh out of college, uh, being a, as a youth pastor, oh, okay. and then that that kind of evolved into uh, being a. Uh, the executive pastor and kind of essentially taking over the church and running it. Right. And, um, yeah, my folks sang, you know, my dad like played guitar and sang growing up, like in bands. Right. Um, a lot of like his favorite bands were Chicago and John Denver. And, um, there was this, uh, Christian group called the salt and light company. I think okay. for that, that he was super into, but he played, yeah, he played guitar and sang. And then my mom, I don't know if my mom grew up singing, but she just, I think out of necessity, 
Like if you are a pastor's wife, you have like you also have a forty hour work week involved in the church, but you don't get paid for it. Right. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. You're like cooking for all the Bible studies and you're preparing, you know, you're sewing t-shirts together for kids camps and um so i think mom just out of necessity like grabbed the microphone was like i think i can do this yeah yeah uh great singer though my mom and did you have like a moment when they when they or you realized you had a voice where it was kind of like oh damn you know i think for so many years like my folks like everybody was just really nice to me i think yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody had the minerals to just tell me like, bro, you, you stink. You're yeah. not any good. Um, and luckily there was enough leeway of that. Like nobody shattered my dream too early that, you know, like to this day, I'm still trying to figure out how to, how to sing better. It's right. like a constant growth. I, I noticed this recently and I'm, I don't know if you, notice this at all but like i think it specifically happens with your voice i get off the road i finish a tour and bro like the singing hard every night for two hours like if i'm honest kind of the last thing i want to do right right away after getting off tour is to sing and what's interesting is those muscles like change. And then when I get back into singing, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go sing again. I'm going to go sing a show. You got to train your voice completely differently. Does it ever happen when you're out like busting tail on the road playing every single night that you get home and you kind of just want to put the guitar away? Oh, 100%. 100%. And then, you know, it's what's interesting is, you know, having a studio and kind of, you know, I'll schedule right between shows and between tours, all these sessions. And then it's like, Oh man, I, I don't want to do anything. Um, yeah. but now, and we'll get to this, I'm sure at some point in this talk, what's happening right now where I'm just here. Um, mm. obviously the circumstances are horrible that everyone has to stay yeah. inside. But after I realized, wait, after a few days and I, and all of a sudden I'm like super inspired you know, and also not yeah. playing shows. It's like when you're always playing shows and putting energy into that, it's hard to write a record and play and, and, and be in it, you know, and be inspired. But yeah, 100%. It's like when I get home from tour, I, the last thing I do on, is want to, last thing I want to do is play guitar. I want to cook, hang out at home, mm. pet the mm. pup, go to the park, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, do you notice that your playing changes after you put the guitar down for like a couple weeks after you get off the road or is the muscle memory of your fingers maybe a little bit different than the muscle memory memory of your vocal cords? I think the vocals get are, are harder because it's such a physical thing, you know? And I mean, I absolutely don't sing anywhere near the way you do, but from that's why it's even worse because for me, because I won't sing for months because when I'm with soul live, I don't really sing. And then I'll go out with my band and all of a sudden I'm like, damn. And, uh, right. you know, I need to figure out and I'm starting to figure out like warm ups and stuff with guitar. It's a little different, but I feel like I, with guitar after a day, I'll, I'll have one or two shows that won't be up to par and then I'll feel good again. Um, but yeah. I'm, I am starting to warm up, you know, it's like, I always was like, Oh, I don't need to warm up. And now I'm like warming up 
whatever I'm doing, you know. Um, oh, like even your fingers and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. War- I have to start up warming fingers. up. Yeah, I have to start warming and up now. What's that protocol? There, I don't wouldn't say there is one. I have a few things. I just basically find the hardest things that I that I can physically do on a guitar and try to do it over and over and try to do it like with. But also the funny thing that I've realized um, later is breathing through everything differently and breathing while I'm uh, playing, you know, cause uh, in the yeah. beginning, it's funny. I listen to old recordings or not even that old, but I listen to live recordings and I'm like, man, I'm not breathing enough. I'm just playing, you know, and sometimes that's the energy of the room versus listening afterwards where you're like, why am I going ham right now? And I'll listen yeah, back well. and be like, um, man, I really should have just you know, physically for the physical sense, but also for just my playing, just leaving more space and um, totally. Wow, yeah, that's so interesting. It's similar to vocals. That's, I mean, vocals you have to breathe. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it it innate. Totally. That's why emu- you know, as a guitar player, I've always wanted to emulate singers because mm. first off, like there's more of a physical physical connection and your ear to your vocals is a little bit of a cleaner connection. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. I'm hearing that, I'm singing that. So there's mm. that, but then there's also the breath, you know, the mm. bre- you need that breath. And that's why singers tend to make more tasteful, um, you know, th- th- there's, there's a lot more taste in singing in my, in my opinion. Because with a guitar, you can just learn all these crazy scales and just go nuts, you know, and that's what I'm, and I just started right. teaching again, um, you know, online a little bit. And, and that's the really? thing that I'm, I'm telling everybody is like, you know, it's like, don't just play the scales, uh, try to sing these, these notes. And then that way it's going to come out more of like an expression rather than an exercise, but, uh, breathing through it. That's yeah. like, even through playing guitar, like I didn't, even, I, I've never heard anybody say that, but it makes so much sense. I've, uh, as of recent, been getting a lot into breath work prior to singing. Right. right. I have this, like my warm ups are pretty in depth now. Like I used to not warm up at all uh, before a show, just go run and gun, do two shots of tequila and then just, just start her up. Right. <laughs> and, you know, like it worked for a while. Like in my 20s, I was fine. But, you know, like I'm, I'm pushing 40 now, brah. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> and not, no, nah, I'm not pushing 40. I'm, I'm on the close, I'm on the near side of 30, but yeah, you know, now my warm ups are, I'm close near in two hours before the show. I'm okay. starting my warm up in, in order to get everything in. And I'm doing, I recently um, discovered this cat named Wim Hof. Dude, you know, who, I know Wim Hof. That's so. Do you know him? Yeah, my brother works with him. You know. Ah, that makes total sense. Yeah, he he worked. He lived up at my brother's place in Topanga for a while, and they did this whole series. So I I I did the plunge. Yeah, and my nieces all did the like cold plunges with him Mm. and stuff. I had no idea who he was during the whole thing, and then afterwards, my friend was like, "You know who that is, right?" And I started looking up all of his his techniques and, you know, and he's got a lot of stuff going on right now because he's talking about the immune system and how to stay immune to all the things going around. His teachings, at least his breath work and his cold shock therapy stuff, the, um, I, I didn't, I haven't dove in deep. I've kind of just like peripheral, uh, uh, 
started his practice, you know, like watched yeah. a couple of his breathwork videos, like the vice interview or something, you know, I was like, yeah. oh, I could do that. Yeah. yeah. But then, uh, you know, I've even gone as far as I installed a, a outdoor shower at my house. So in the morning I'll do, you know, 15 minutes in the hot tub. And then I jump into that cold, frosty shower, Pacific Northwest frost shower. Oh yeah, bro. Oh my God. I feel like I pissed lightning after that. Yeah. That wakes you up, man. It does something to your system for sure. It definitely does. Um, But it's interesting. I heard somebody say recently that made so much sense. They said the reason why you meditate is breathing through difficulty. And when you're trying to focus on keeping the mind blank, my mind is awful. My, my, My mind has total power over me. It just does whatever it wants. It's always anxious. It's always panicking. But through meditation... You always try and find your way back to the breath, and that's what meditation's teaching you is through difficulty finding your way back to the breath. And it's and you mentioning that you notice when you play guitar when you're breathing and when you're not, it comes out in the sound of what you're projecting. That's so cool. It's such a good thing to re- to remember, especially in singing too. Like when you're centered and you're breathing and you're um, uh, like, like during rehearsal, rehearsal seems to always go better than the performance for me because yeah. I'm not in front of people and I'm not like worried about the way my face looks or the way that my, I'm dressed, right. you know? So I'm not <laughs> specifically anxious about like, Oh, are people like, what's this guy thinking? Where's he yeah. from? You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just because I'm, I'm not centered and I'm not breathing. I'm not like focused on, on the right well, maybe not necessarily focus on the right thing, but you're just overly anxious and you don't breathe when you're, when you're anxious. Yeah. I have serious issues turning my mind off. That's why I have like sleep issues and, mm. um, you know, there's like Stevie Ray Vaughan. I remember in an interview, this like hit me when I was a kid, I watched some interviews with Stevie Ray Vaughan. They were like, well, what are you thinking about when you're playing? And like, and he's like, well, in a perfect world, I'm not thinking at all. You know, I'm thinking in preparation for the show, and when, mm. and then when I'm performing, mm. there's no thought, and it's just mm. kind of channeling and and breathing, you know. And mm. some people have to work at that, and some people have just complete natural ability uh, to do that. Like I, I was thinking about this the other day, BB King, for example, is who I always think of on guitar is like he there's he's never his he doesn't change he doesn't get anxious when he's on stage versus not and like he when he's playing he's he's breathing for like 30 seconds between notes you know and mm. and the effect is so powerful because he's so calm you know what i mean and he's so eloquent with the, he can play three notes and that can have more power than the 100 notes that someone would play you know mm. do you notice that I mean, you're you're uh, more uh, caught up in the improvisation world than I am. Like, there's very little improvisation at my shows, if any at all. Like before a tour, I'm. This is how I like to work. I like to rehearse the song until we've <laughs> until we've sucked all the soul out of it whatsoever, and it's just, <laughs> and it's this like. Top to bottom, I know what I know. Everything that's going to happen, I know when the vocals are going to come. Like I'm, I'm meticulous about the rehearsal um, because improvisation on stage just scares the hell out of me. Right? Do you feel like because you're 
you're more fluent in the improvisation world that being present is easier. Like I, I wonder if because I rehearse it to death that I'm able to overthink during the performance because I've rehearsed it so much. See, I don't know. I, I, I would much rather be rehearsed, you know what I mean? And then have that foundation as kind of like, I can always lay back on that, but, you know, have the communication to the point where, Hey, we're going to extend this part and we're going to really jam on this. This feels good right now. Like that's like soul mm. live. Soul live is yeah. we've, and it's not even that we've rehearsed. We've played so many shows that we know all of the pathways in and out of each song. But then like, if kind of this one jam is takes on a different character and we're feeling it, we'll just go for way longer on that part um, mm. And with Soul Live, you know, it's funny because because we took a lot of time off and we've been playing again. We've been it's been really fun um, for me coming back and having that foundation. Whereas a lot of the gigs I do, the bands are I wouldn't say thrown together, but we're not like road bands. You know, it's like we're coming right. together and doing this one little run with this special guest and learning these songs yeah. and doing this. Yeah. And I I get frustrated by the fact that, okay, we rehearse and then we play one show and, oh man, if we did two, three more, we'd really catch that vibe, mm. you know? So I guess, I don't know if that fully answered your question. I guess, yeah, I've but through all these different gigs I've done over the years, and you and I have done probably a handful of those, and we always have a blast doing it. I mean, but you have to kind of be ready for it to suck, <laughs> you know? But you also got to know that the audience actually likes those moments. You know, sometimes the audience likes that vulnerability, you know, when it's like, okay, there's a mess up, but how did we get out of it? And how did we mm. deal with it? Um, you know, yeah, it's, I'm, uh, but it's, I'm, but it's ballsy. That, you gotta be <laughs> to, to go out there without like it really prepped out. But then at the same time, I love watching your shows. And actually you kind of surprised me by that statement because I do feel like you guys are improvising and adding things in the moment. And I know like you have your certain riffs and stuff, but you're definitely, I, when I see you perform, it's different every time, you know, it's not like you do the same set, you know? Well, you're kind, but you haven't seen it like Thursday and then Friday. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. You know, you've seen like different tours. And of course, whenever we do a new tour, we're flipping it. Everything is flipped. I, right. I never want to bring the same tour back to Cleveland like three yeah, times in yeah, a row. Yeah. But, you know, like my perfect scenario is a week, you know, week, week and a half of rehearsals. We've got all the songs we want to play. And then like as we get a week in, then we go like, you know, what's not feeling right, guys? This moment here. Can we change this? You know, and then in, in sound check, we'll switch something up. But dude like i i'm i'm terrified to improv on stage and just be like hey guys just keep yeah just do this keep keep playing that you know i right. i don't know if it's because i'm not yeah i'm not like a super i'm not a i'm not comfortable in my in my musicality like i can sing over stuff and you give me a melody and i can sing it and i'll i'll feel it I, I, but to just like sit in a room with really talented musicians and try and like play along and find my space. I'm so uncomfortable there. Well, it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't feel that way. I mean, I've been in those rooms with you and you always command, uh, 
you're, you know, when you went, you're not that you're overbearing, but when you sing, you're heard. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, I've never say, heard you sing a bad note. And it seems so, I mean, one of the things that I love about watching you perform is that I can tell that it's really, na- there's so much natural ability there. Not that you don't work at it, but I feel like you, your ear is just got this, this, this natural tendency, you know, where to go. Even if you don't know the chord and the notes, you know, where to go. You know, that probably comes from just growing up around the music and, you know, it, you absorbing, I mean, did you listen to a lot of records as a kid? Is that how you, you know, obviously singing in church, but I mean, you sound so natural singing soul music. Was that from the records you listened to? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I was when I got really heavy into soul, it was like 16, 17 years old. I think prior to that, uh, prior to that, it was it was always on like the funk tip for sure. There was always something the 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 rhythm section was always grooving on the stuff that I was super into. It was like cake and chili peppers and the police and I got into Billy Joel for a while, but even the Billy Joel stuff I was super into was like the stuff that was more groove based. Like what's, um, Anthony works to the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. I could never, I do. I could not get enough of that song when I was a kid. I was yeah. like every day, bro. That was my tune. Yeah. I'm driving to school. Um, so yeah, it was it was definitely indulging in records. Like I said, you come from a town where you've got to drive 45 minutes to get any CD, you know, because you there's no stores in Chihuahua that sell music. You'd have to you'd have to either drive to the the nearby Walmart, and they had all like you know I'm not sure if they still do this, but for a while Walmart only sold edited music. Oh wow! So you get. Yeah, I got oh, – forget what record I got. I think I bought like Jay-Z's Black Album there. Um, or like every what, other what word it? is muted out. Every <laughs> other word was muted. Yeah, I think I got a Wyclef – I got like Wyclef Jean Carnival there. And I was oh, like, I what is – I kept checking my CD player. Like, what is wrong with this? I didn't know yeah, that's not yeah. how the song goes. Um, yeah, maybe music was just a little bit more precious to me because – of it wasn't easy to get it wasn't readily available for me and also there was this kind of i wasn't supposed to listen to secular music you know i kind of had to sneak it a little bit and so i think that made it even more of a um sacred um you know it's like taking communion getting in my car without my folks or without anybody who's going to tell my folks that I was listening to secular music. I was like, yes, dude, this is my, this is, this is my church right here. This is right. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that too. Like, did that, how, how did that, how did that uh, play out when you started making your own music and stuff with your folks? It was cool. I mean, my folks are, my folks are great people. Um, I think initially when I first started playing out, I was playing in the church. That was the only platform I could get to stand in front of people and play was I first, my, my pops taught me guitar, like a few chords and you know, there's, there's not like a bunch of readily available channels for young kids to get up and like perform in for, in front of people. And that's such an art form. It's like, I think I take it for granted now just because it happens so often for me, but 
if I were to just stop right now and rewind my life and be in my early 20s wanting to play my songs for people, like other than the Internet, how do you get in front of people and show them your art? You know, it's like open mics, some, you know, maybe, but I don't I don't know where to find them. Um, so the church was really that, that platform for me. My, my pops would let me like get up during Sunday service and play these songs that I wrote, you know, which, so um, you you were writing back then. Yeah, I was writing early, man. And how old were you at that point? 13? Oh yeah. 14, 15, 16. When I was, um, I'm not positive about the age, but I, I definitely started just like writing my own songs early. And I think initially it was like for my local, like little neighborhood girlfriends, I would like write them a tune. I was that corny guy that remember in animal house when Belushi comes down the stairs and just like breaks the acoustic guitar <laughs> over the guy's face. Do you remember of course this? I do. That's like my favorite movie as a kid. I, I'm that guy. I'm yeah, the guy on the yeah. stair. I'm the guy on the staircase. Just like, Oh dude, I got, I wrote this song for you, girl. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's funny. Oh, I was so corny as a kid. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we all were, right? Oh, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, started writing pretty early, and then that was my means towards, I guess, performance and learning how to be in front of an audience was leading worship uh, uh, at uh, my dad's church, and then. Um, when I started writing songs, they were like, initially it was all religious tunes, you know, very, right, right. very like religious tunes. Cause I was full on Bible thumper until, yeah. you know, 20, 21, 22, I think is when I was like, I, I don't think this is for me. Yeah. Um, but when I started writing tunes that were maybe outside of the realm of the, the Lord is my eternal savior. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, my folks, my folks are like, they're, they're religious people. So you, it, it must've been uncomfortable for them, but you know, we didn't have some sort of like witch hunt in my yeah. family to like bring me back to the, the fold of Christianity. I think it was, it's like, what are you going to do? A kid's 22 years old. If he doesn't want to go to church anymore, then that's his, you know, that's his, that's his prerogative. Um, was there an experience that you can kind of pinpoint of, or was it just kind of over time? You're like, this isn't for me. Was there like a moment where you're like, you know, I just want to make my own music. I want to get the, you know? Mm. Yeah. I don't think it was really the mute. Well, I think, I think definitely the music helped. I went to Bible college f- right. fresh out of high, fresh out of high school for a semester. Cause I thought like, oh, I mean, I think I'm going to, maybe become a worship pastor. You know, right. that's how I learned to, to play music. And I was really comfortable in the church community. My brother was a pastor. My dad was still in ministry. It was just like a likely, um, place to end up. And, um, going through Bible college, like opened up a lot of knowledge that I was not privy to up to that point, you know, up to that point, I was like, yeah, the whole entire Bible and scripture was written by God. It just like fell from the sky. Right. And every single word is God 
inspired or God breathed and it's, it's black and white. You don't do this, you do this and it's easy. You know, like I think, I think most likely was, you know, I grew up in an incredible family and it was just super easy, like to be a Christian, right? right? Like that was the easiest route for me and my sure. family. And it was what you knew was what was surrounding you at all times, you know? Totally, totally. And it was, and it's awesome. Like the, the, the thing about religion and Christian and religious communities is that like, they're like 85% of what it, what it is, is awesome. Right. It's, it's family based. It's community based. They look out for each other. They meet once a week to check in on each other. Um, they, they give to causes that I think that they think are, um, positive causes. And most of the time they are most of the time they're helping out families in need. They're helping out single mothers. They're going on food drives. Like the, the negative press that you get from, you know, the church is like how slow they are to come to an an understanding of homosexuality, right? Like these, there's, there's these hotbed topics that the church has been really unfortunately slow to, to come to grips on, but for the most part, it's great. Right. Um, so I think that because it was easy and so great, like I just never really needed to question it, you know, and 20 years old in Bible college, it was like, wait a second. So like, why, I think the the turning point for me was I remember as a kid w- there was a Mormon church on uh on the way to our church. And I always remember I don't remember if my dad actually said it or if like my brother had gotten word about it, but I remember driving past it and always being like, "Oh, that's that's a bad church." All right, all right. You know, they're not going to heaven we have the truth, right? Like we've got the ultimate truth. And even in dialogue about like my, my, a bunch of my friends went to the Catholic church. It's like, yeah. nah, they're not, they don't have it. Right, right. And I don't, and it wasn't like my folks stood on a pedestal and told us this, but it was just like kind of common knowledge in my family, at least to me. Right. right. My parents would never like, my parents were not Bible thumpers. They were not fire and brimstone, but there was still this knowledge. I remember as a young kid. And I even remember I had a buddy who was on my like basketball team, my VFW basketball team. And we were driving out to my church because my church had a basketball court in the sanctuary and we would practice out there. And I remember one time my buddy, he went to the Mormon church. He was Mormon and we were driving past and I just flippantly said like, Oh, that's the bad church. And my dad, my dad, after that car ride, he pulled me aside and he punished me. He was like, don't you ever say that? I was like, what, what, hold on. Like, it's the truth. (laughs) That's the, that's the, that's what I've learned from you. So I think going through Bible college, I was, I was, the, the turning point was learning that scripture was God inspired. It wasn't God's actual words. It was God sending down inspiration to quote unquote prophets, Paul, John, Matthew, Mark, you know, all these prophets of the day and they would, they would pan it down. Um, and then hundreds of years later, these, 
religious leaders of the the times of the the Roman times uh, assembled this group of folk called the Nicene Creed, and they said, "Okay, these are the books that are going to be in the New Testament." Right? I'm like, okay, so like, if if they're not God's infallible word, rather some guy's interpretation of it, why can't that inspiration continue to happen? And why couldn't Joseph Smith have been compelled by God to add new books to the Bible? Right. right. And if that's the case, then then what is my dad's inspiration on a Sunday? How is that any different than Paul's? Like just because Paul was around like two, 300 years after Christ and he persecuted Christians, he killed Christians. He was a tax collector like this dirty dude. Yeah. I'm thinking in reality, like if this guy was around right now, if he was alive driving around in a Honda Civic, would I believe him? Be like, dude, you're just like me, bro. You poop. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, how are you how are you gonna tell me about religion? And and it'd be like if Anthony Robbins just like was five foot four, he was bald, and he hadn't done anything with his life. He was just like your next door neighbor. Right, he came right. over. He's like, dude, you know, you can really turn your life around. Yeah. It's like, bro, you didn't do anything. What are you talking? Right. You can't you can't <laughs> compel me to change my life. Your life sucks. Yeah, and. It was in that moment that was like, wait, that was kind of when the initial shell of my connection with, with Christianity started to crack. And then there was, you know, so many other aspects of it, the, you know, portions of the, the book that like Christians just disregard, you know, specifically, um, Old Testament writings, you know, it it's not even Old Testament, it was New Testament. Paul would, uh, I'm dude, I'm getting off into the weeds here, bro. Just cut no, no, me no, off this, whenever this, you no, want. This is interesting, though. <laughs> so, you know, New Testament, Paul would talk to the churches, the surrounding churches of Thessalonica. That's what Thessalonians is. Corinthians, he was he was writing letters to these new budding churches, right? And he was informing them like, this is how you should essentially do your business. This is how the church needs to be run. And that's a, a good swath of the New Testament. So he's telling people about, okay, women need to sit on the left side of the church yeah. and men need to sit on the right. And women shouldn't speak up. Women should wear head coverings. You shouldn't eat shellfish. Um, you shouldn't eat swine, you know, like all right. these, all these, um, Laws, essentially, is what I would have interpreted them as as a young kid. Uh, but yet, like, these things he talks about all the time. He talks about money. He talks about finance. And then, like, once or twice in the Christian Bible, it talks about homosexuality. And homosexuality, specifically at that time, when I was like 20, 21, 22, was such a hot topic in the church. Oh, I don't know how it is now because I've been out of it for a while. But like, bro, back then it was like you couldn't even you couldn't even mention it. And I and at, the, and at that point, growing up in a small town, I didn't know any homosexuals. I was I had literally didn't know any. But thinking of it. Like and breaking it down theoretically, I'm like, how is it any different from my natural inclination towards women? 
Right. Like, I didn't wake up one day and be like, ah, I'm going to be straight. We'll be right back after this short break. Part of it is when you are, get away from your community and all of a sudden your friends are gay, you know, or, or whatever race or whatever, you know, um, is when you start really questioning it. You're like, wait, I've been kind of part of this community that believes this certain thing. And I just don't believe that, you know? Um, and that's when, you know, and again, there, you know, people, there's, you know, a lot of like the modern day churches don't necessarily accept all of those rules. But, you know, I do think, you know, probably when you take yourself out of that community and you're in a city or you're around all this different culture, it starts to really polarize and you're like, hold on a second. Um, I need to be able to kind of create my own guidelines based on what I believe. Right. 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 Totally. Well, and you see that happening constantly throughout the history of the church. Right. It was like Catholicism. And then Martin Luther is like, nah, this is lame. Like we shouldn't, we don't need to do confession anymore. And we don't need to pray through Mary to get to Jesus. I'm going to start my own church. Right. So that was the Lutheran church. And then you see the splits from the Lutheran church with the assemblies of God and the free Methodists and the Puritans. It's like this thing has changed so often the only thing to me that I get back to is like the reason why is because it was created by humans right. and humans right. are like awful things. They're great and awful all in the same capacity. And a lot of times and, they're going to create rules that benefit them. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know. Of course they're going to create rules that benefit them or, um, or just even like, you know, what's the, 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 the old saying that like the road to death is paved in good intentions. What right, is that? Right. Do you know that? I don't. It's the same but, thing. Yeah. Sa- same exact thing. Like people acting self-righteous. I mean, that's what every war, Yeah. that's what the on. beginning of every, every, uh, genocide was, was good intention. Oh, we're trying to better the world around us or the human yeah. race. It's like, I don't know, but now I have like a much better relationship with it right. than I did. I was so bitter for so many years, man. Like just, I was the guy, yeah. I was the guy who would stand. You've heard me just recite like a, a little bit of my disdain for corporate religion just in the last, in the last 10 minutes. But I'm man for a while, I was super bitter. And now, now I totally get it. You know, like people, first of all, we're all religious like some people just choose to be, you know, yogis and vegans and that's their religion. And then other people choose to like shave their head and spout off uh, ludicrousy and hate. But that's still their religion. That's what their beliefs and the practice of those beliefs. And so it makes sense that people would want some sort of community like a church, man. It's a beautiful thing. Like, can you imagine not having your music community or your friend oh, community. Oh, for sure. Or... I mean, I think, and also, 
it, we're in a different time now where communicate, you know, communication is different. Mm. Our knowledge of things is it's so much easier to access knowledge about it, cultures all over the world. And, um, but it's also like, as you start to have a fa- family, you know, you want cre- to create community. And that's one of the things that I sometimes envy about my friends that go to church and, and having that community around them. I mean, and again, you're luck. I, I feel fortunate that I do have like my music community and my friends and, and, and all of that, because if I didn't, and I lived in times where that communication and that, and I didn't travel as easily, um, that who know, you know, you may, there's so much value in that. Like, how do you live completely by yourself, you know, and part of religion was based in just bringing people together and also instilling these values to take care of one another, you know, there's so much, there's so much good, right. Um, that comes from, I think the one, if I was to start a church from the beginning, yeah. uh, I think the one hang up that I always find with every single religion is this is the only truth. And like that bugs me. You know, like you look at, oh, well, any belief anybody holds typically is like the ulterior of that belief is absolutely wrong. Whether it's church, whether it's left versus right, whether it's Donald Trump versus Obama, whether it's abortion versus not, you know, like there's no gray area. It's either you're one or you're two. It's binary. And the one thing about corporate religion I, w- I wish they would incorporate, and some seem to do it, is like, we don't know. <laughs> like, right. I wish that I, w- I would be so quick to go to a church if a pastor was like, dude, I, I got no idea what happens after death. Right. Nobody does because I haven't died. There's no possible way <laughs> that anybody can fully comprehend what happens when our bodies – are no use anymore. Like, I don't know. Ultimately, there's no way for anyone to really know, you know, and that, that is the reason why it's hard for me to completely give myself to one or the other. But I think the important thing is, is studying any and all religions is going to be beneficial in, in some sort of way. And what you find when you do is that there's so many comparisons, there's so many, like the positives seem to be similar across the board. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, yeah. When I was in high school, I remember uh, reading, uh, what was it? Oh yeah. Hero with a thousand, I think it's where hero with a thousand faces. Is that what the, it's a Joseph Campbell book that compares like of some of the origin stories of all these religions that were all born in all these different places on earth that could never have communicated with each other. And a lot of the stories were like exactly, I mean, aside from the names and the places were exactly the same. Uh, I thought that was so interesting to me. And that actually really piqued my interest to figure out why, you know, there was so many people following these things and it's because there is so much good to take out of it. You know, um, there's, Totally. There's so many good, like everything casts a shadow, right? I've been really thinking about this recently that, uh, regardless of what you do, no matter how positive it is, it always casts a shadow. And there's always something that you can derive from it. That's like, Oh, but that part sucks. You know, like we get to play music. It's amazing. But Oh God, traveling, man. Like I traveling just suck. I'm all over that. Right. Like there's always something that you can manufacture from, from any 
anything that's negative. And I think uh, religion falls into that just like, just like every other um, invention of man, you know, yeah, for uh, sure. th- there's life and death are happening at the same exact moment, right? Like you're dying as you're living. Right. And it's like this yin and yang theory and ideology of like, yeah, well, you know, like it's, it's bad and it's good all wrapped up in one at the same exact time. It's pos- even down to your like cellular makeup is positive and negative charge, yeah. you know, like interacting at the same time. It's really don't know what I was talking about just then. I kind of blacked out, but <laughs> no, it's on point though. <laughs> I mean, especially I can relate to, you know, I, the whole, the, the thing for me, you know, and again, as, as years go on, it's like finding the balance between that positive and negative and always re- knowing that there's never a moment where everything's perfect. You know, I feel like mm. when I was younger, I was like, oh, once we do this, everything's going to be perfect. You mm. know, and once I figure out a way to tour where it's not going to be harsh on my system, I do, but then I'm flying back and forth every weekend and that kind of sucks. Mm. Or like, oh, then I'm on a bus. Once we get to a bus, it's going to be fine, but I can't sleep on a bus. And, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm relating this to my exact situation where it should be, it's, but the broader thing is like, and it comes back to the first thing we talked about, which was meditation, breathing, and knowing that nothing is that bad. You know what I mean? And that, and that when, you know, again, like appreciating what you have and putting gratitude in what you do have is going to help you stay positive through the things that suck. You yep. know what I mean? And it's also going to help guide the best way to deal with the suckingness, you know? Mm. Um, I forget who, man, I wish I knew who actually wrote this, but recently I read this, this my, friend, my brother actually, I think hipped me to this. Someone wrote, I'm going to say it awfully, but that it's, um, that having like a positive attitude, right. Is 10% what actually happens to you and 90% how you react to it, you know? Oh and, yeah. And totally. that's like, I so can, you know, every time I think about that, it really helps me like figure out my situation and why I'm happy or why I'm, I'm not happy. And really usually I can pinpoint, I didn't just having a bad attitude about this, <laughs> you mm, know? Yep. Yeah, um, but you know, and that's, that's especially like right now, um, with all of that's going on in the world and the COVID situation, um, there's a lot of things to be pissed off about and there's a lot of reasons that this is horrible. I mean, people are dying, people are mm. sick, but I also think it's somewhat of a wake up call to humans, um, as we've seen in real time, we're seeing that as we're slowing down and as we're like kind of easing off of travel and, and businesses and all these things that we're watching the world like heal in certain places. You know, I don't know Mm. if you've tuned into that at all. And also people are, you know, bonding with their families in a different way. And people are, Mm. I mean, I know I'm slowing down and like figuring out things that I've been wanting to work on and health stuff and music stuff and reading and all these things that I've had on my list for a long time. And again, I'm not trying to, uh, downplay the ser- the seriousness of what's happening. But, you know, I, I, again, I think like if we take the right attitude with this, there's a lot of positives. I forget who it was who said it, but maybe it was Ram Dass. It's like all men's problems stem from him not being able to sit in a room by himself. Yeah. 
it's like we're constantly trying to f- like fill this angst and void of not wanting to to be alone and be present with ourselves kind of it's so like true. this it's like this chirping constantly that happens in my mind it's like not good enough you're not busy enough like which gets me in motion right but then once i get in motion i'm never satisfied with the thing that i do yeah it's the weirdest it's the weirdest catch 22 like today just today um i got to do and this is not me bragging in in any sense of the word it's just me attempting to try and give perspective on what i mean but today we uh the a tiny desk that we recorded a couple weeks ago aired mm-hmm. and this is like such a cool opportunity like tiny desk in the music world nowadays is like bigger than a late night hit. right yeah and i'm i was just so pumped on it you know like yes this is great right striving to that. Like if I could only get this opportunity, if I could only open for this person, if I could only get this piece of gear, if I could only play this guitar and then you get it. And today, like I couldn't even walk. My wife is watching it in the, in the living room yeah. and I couldn't even watch it. So I'm just like, Oh, it sounds like shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm just so negative. <laughs> That's me. Always. I can't watch anything. I can't, I watch, can't watch. And now granted that might be my, greatest tool right like to not be satisfied with the art you just you make the art you do it as best you can you get rid of it and then you're on to the next thing and that that might in turn be an asset you know it'll we never know but it is still funny to look at it from ten thousand feet above and be like hold on like i'm spending so much of my life and so much of my energy time that i could be utilizing raising my child i mean my my son just turned a year today bro i've been gone for like seven months of his life already right like literally gone not just not just like not present like not in the room with him yeah and that's to me i'm like what am i sacrificing here right like what what am i sacrificing i know i need to i know i need to feed him and that's where the the activity and the responsibility comes from for sure. And that's how I make my living is standing in front of a microphone and playing for people. But is there something more precise and an active um, and present that I could be doing than just, just this droning of like, okay, where's the next show going to be? Where's the next, where's my next paycheck? I got to get a paycheck. Where's where's it at? I also think one of the things you're not necessarily seeing, or maybe you are, but is that it is affecting a lot of people in a positive way, you being out there and touring. And I think like, you know, we're in our own little bubble sometimes, Mm. but you're bringing pleasure to people. And I think a lot of people, their escape from whatever, you know, sadness or hard times they're going through, mm-hmm. or maybe it's just like they want to come check it out, but there, it takes them somewhere else for that, for that brief moment. And that is, there's value in that too. You know and I mean? I think that's totally. like a byproduct of like our hustle and all that stuff that sometimes we don't sit there and go, Oh wow. Like someone's just sitting there you know, and every once in a while I get a message like that, you know, that, oh, this mm. song did this for me when this was happening or whatever. And that really puts it in perspective, like, 
wow, there is something on the other end of this. You know? Yeah. The most uplifting conversations are when fans, we do these, you know, VIP meet and greets, right? Where people come before the show and you get to talk to them. It's kind of the only time nowadays that I get face to face connection with, with the audience. Yeah. Like on a tour, like I can't go to the merch table anymore. Yeah. Maybe if I'm walking around before the show and I see somebody, I'll definitely stop and chat with them, but legitimate face to face time, you know, emotional conversation with people. It happens at these meet and greets and it's all, I always really appreciate it when people are like, man, thank you for, for being here and for, I don't want to sound self-righteous, but they're like, and sacrificing your time with your family to be out here with us. Right. Right. And it's like, it's good to remember that, that what you're doing is bringing people joy. And that's like, that's, I think a lot of the times when I stand on stage, like I'm so chirpy in my own mind, I think everybody's just judging me. Right. I stand on stage and I'm like, if I don't hit that note, if I don't sing that thing well, if I don't pull this reaction out of an audience, then people are going to have a bad time. And if they have a bad time, they're never going to come back again. Like I get caught up in like the destination instead of the process. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's a good word to remember that like what, what, what we're doing is therapy. Yeah, for sure. It is if for them. I mean, and for us, I mean, I think another thing to think about is again, it comes back to the first thing we talked about is like living in that moment and trying to enjoy that moment for what it is and not always thinking, okay, the end result is this, that, and the other. Um, because I mean, what got us into this in the beginning was that thrill of being on stage. You know, it's funny how we kind of that, and again, you know, we, we tend to start putting it in this, in this like line where we're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then after I achieve that, I'm going to do this. And we keep raising that bar and that it's important to do that as an artist to push your art. But it's also like, it's, but it's fun. We got in this because it's fun, you know? And we, and, and that it's thrilling every time we do it, you know, and I try to get back to that as much as I can, even though. Again, my mind chirps as well, but it's weird. I think connecting commerce and art. Yeah. And I think that, um, just like spirituality, uh, it never, it never stops. Like that's the thing about a positive attitude is we constantly think in these destination play. Like, I'm, I'm eventually going to get to this place where I have achieved Nirvana and, I'm just, I float around. Like I just wear these like rollerblades that are filled with compressed air and I just float everywhere. I'm the savior <laughs> of my own existence. And like that, that never, you're never going to get somewhere because it's like, it's a presence thing. It's an everyday, every moment activity where you've got to constantly be on the grind of perspective um, in order to maintain, it's like a maintain thing. It's not a destination. It's a, it's a maintenance right. scenario. And that's, that's going to be interesting to see how the current times that we're in right now are going to play out because we're all scrambling to figure out how we could potentially keep our businesses going mm. without touring, you know, and that to a certain degree, it solves a lot of these 
problem because my biggest problem for the last 10 years being a musician was that I hate traveling and, in, and then yeah. I'm about to be a dad. So for me, it's like, I want, I don't want to be gone all the time. So now it's like, okay, how can we make this work? Um, and I know you probably had to cancel a lot of show and you were like in the middle of a tour when the, when the Corona whole thing hit, right? Yeah. Yeah. We canceled half the tour. We're yeah. halfway through it literally to the day. Um, had to cancel that. I had to cancel. Well, we didn't cancel. I mean, I hate to say cancel because it's, uh, you know, we're postponing, postponing yeah, re rescheduling, um, at yeah. this point rescheduling at this point. Um, Australia, we were headed over to Australia oh, for right. blues fest and yeah. we had to, we had to, um, I mean, that was a, that was a situation where we, we had to cancel, right. um, a bunch of festivals, a bunch of privates, you know, I've canceled 50, 60 shows at least by now I, in all yeah, into the man. summer, um, you know, and we're all finding different ways to getting our music out there or, you know, whether we're making money or not. I mean, it's going to hit soon enough that we're all going to have to, I mean, I've been teaching some online lessons, which I'd never done before, which I'm actually enjoying. Yeah. I mean, the cool That's thing great. for me is I have a studio here so I can keep creating and, and uh, sure. do a lot of the things that I've been wanting to do, but it's definitely reality is going to hit. Um, and pretty much everyone around me, especially here in Los Angeles, it's entertainment industry, service industry or music. Yeah, which are I mean, all that's... just down. I mean, it's it's crazy. I, I have no idea how this is going to affect the future for all of us. It's really, really hard to say. You know, I think the again, we got to think about the positives that we're spending time with our families and communities are coming together to help each other, and I think that will continue to happen um, because that's essentially our nature. Um, and we'll find new ways. Like I've been watching people online uh, doing their art and doing their music with, you know, via FaceTime or via Zoom or via all of it. And I think that technology is going to accelerate over the next month. I mean, day by day, there's people building um, new ways to make money online, to communicate online, to create art together online. So it's interesting watching that unfold. Um, again, we're going to adapt, you know, I, to, to end that part of this conversation on a positive note, at least is that I think we're all going to adapt and we're going to find ways to make this work. And in certain ways, maybe some, some ways to, um, slow down, but still function, you know? I think it's good to see the silver lining and all this for sure. It's interesting to be in a, like a human being that has like, the ability to cognitively think about things and to formulate an opinion. But it's, you know, like you, sh you should be uh, maybe like 18. You may, maybe should, you should be 21 to be able to like cast your vote in an election, right? Like in order to perform surgery, you should have to go through like eight years of college, yeah. right? You've been educated. They've told you the right things. You've done your residency. You've, you, you are fully formed in the capabilities of performing, taking somebody's appendix out, forming an opinion and then expressing that opinion online or like to your friends. You don't need anything. <laughs> Anybody can have it. 
It's so interesting. Like for me, I think about the exact same things. Like in reality, I should probably just shut up because yeah. I have no idea what I'm talking about and I have no uh, comprehension of what is actually happening. Um, I don't know. I think it's good to express those ideas and thoughts and fears. Sure. And, you know, it's definitely good to lean on community in these moments and dialogue about it. But, man, don't come to me for for a sound judgment on any <laughs> on any crisis, bro. We'll be right back after a quick message from our sponsors. you a little bit about your music inspiration before we before we end like if there was is there was there an album or an artist that kind of marked a point in your life where you listened to that that artist or looked up to that artist and said okay this I want I want to make music now I want to be an artist was mm. there like a moment like that or an album that kind of woke up that 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 inspiration or that creativity in you yeah I was for me it was it was um it was definitely Stevie Wonder. Yeah. He was that artist that I found, you know, 17 or 18. I forget what it was. It was, it was, I'm, I'm always trying to uh, pivot off of, they say when you get older, you don't really know how old you are. You just kind of pivot off of how old your kids are. Right. It's like, well, Rudy would have been three there. So I guess I was, you know, X, right. Yeah. Um, I think it was like 17 or 18 when somebody gave me Stevie Wonder because they gave me like his catalog on like a hard drive. Like it wasn't like they gave me a, a CD or right. a vinyl or something like it was at that point that we were starting to already trade information yeah, on files. like hard drives and yeah. files and whatnot. Um, and they gave me like it was like greatest hits or something. You know, and so I combed through that. I had never heard, I mean, I'd definitely heard Stevie Wonder, but I had never like, oh, this is, St and connected the dots. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, oh, I've heard all these tunes before in passing, but I've never like listened to them, if that makes sense. And I just, I got obsessed with him and the way that he sang and um, the, just the feeling of his music. But I think at that point I had already, I, I had already thought that I wanted to be busy. Maybe this is a better vibe. I think Stevie wonder was that inspiration to like, that's what I want to sound like. Right. That's what I want to sing. Like I want to yeah. sing like that. Yeah, yeah. But I had a friend growing up when we were real young. Um, her name was Stacy Arico. She kind of had like, she had a little dip in the secular world. Man, it would have been late nineties, I think. Mm -hmm. Essentially, like this always happens in the Christian music world where they have like the answer to what's happening in the secular world only like five, six years later. So Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, this was the, the this was the moment that like that pop color ruled the world. Right, right. And so Stacy was an incredible singer, um, unbelievable vocalist. And she got signed 
real young and started started up in the Christian industry. Not that there's some sort of overlord in the Christian world to be like, you know what we need? We need an answer to Britney Spears. Yeah. But I'm sure that they were ref- thinking of that at the moment, right? Um, and I remember driving in my, my dad's Buick. Was it a Buick? It's like a Cutlass or something, dude. It was yeah. a good car. Bench seat in the front, soft, plush, yeah, yeah. <laughs> gnarly shocks on it. You could drive over, just you could drive over a ditch and not feel it. Uh, and her song came on the radio. I was like twelve, and I like, I knew that she sang. I had no idea that she had been in a studio and that she had written a song and that she recorded the song. And then what the song is like on the radio station. And that was all we got. Like we didn't really have, I mean, I think we had cassettes growing up sort of, but my parents didn't really collect cassettes. And so we pretty much just listened to like the Christian radio station coming out of Spokane and her song came on and the DJ was like, and a new one from Stacy Arico gave like a little backstory of, her and it was and i'd already i'd like started playing guitar started singing so it was kind of writing tunes a little bit and i really you know being the narcissist and the youngest child that i am i was like uh i really like this (laughs) i really like the attention that i'm getting you know like like this is giving me a buzz and um hearing her song on the radio just was like wait a second so so those are real people on the radio station. And those are like, that's like possible yeah, to, yeah. to like get on the radio. Yeah. And then I remember she came to, she came to Spokane to the mall, the North town mall, which is, you know, this tiny little mall on, uh, near like, as you're leaving Spokane, it's near Chewila, right? It's, on, I remember coming in and there was, bro, there was, there must've been, a thousand people there just like waiting to hear her sing to a track on this little stage in the mall. Yeah. And it it just blew my mind at that point. I was like, wait a second. So you're not going to school right now. You don't have to go to boring class. You like on planes and like staying in hotels and like doing this instead. Right. I want to, I want to do that. Yeah. And it kind of opened up this door of possibility in my mind. And I think that was the real inspiration to like decide that I wanted to be a musician. Cause I decided it like really early. I remember, you know, on those, what do you want to be when you grow up? Sort of like eighth grade, like ninth grade. This is what I'm going to do with my life after I get out of high school. And I was like, I want to be a musician. And I was like, what you want? You got, you got good grades. You, (laughs) you're an athlete. Like, why would you want to do that? You know? And I think it was from knowing somebody who had achieved the greatness of like being on the radio and having a, and getting paid to play music in that like large scale of a capacity. I was like, Oh yeah, dude, you can totally do it. I have a friend who did it. Right. You know, it's like you're the essential oils trade. You know, you're like, Oh yeah, I know this girl, man. She makes like 10 grand a month selling essential oils. You can do it. You can do it. I know somebody, but as far as like the musical inspiration goes, I would have credit that to Stevie. Stevie Once I found right. Stevie, I was like, oh, that's what I want to sound like. But there's like, but the biz, but like the, 
the logical side of my brain that's like, oh, I wonder if I could actually do this. I wonder if I could, if this would actually work to like make money and make a living. That I think came from from Stacy and her her musical journey. Right, right. And then obviously there's a lot that happened between then and you making your own records. But after Bible college, you ended up in Seattle, right? Ended up in Seattle. Yeah, I was a, a um, I was like my folks pretty early in my life, uh, you know, bought me like some recording gear. Yeah. I, I remember we went to Nashville and like recorded with this guy and it was all in his house. He had like a little studio set up in his house, just like you have at yours, yeah, right? Yeah. It was like Kraz called me up and we came, we wrote some tunes. And I had met this guy at this conference, um, this like essentially like an American idol for Christian music. Right. And he, uh, he was like, yeah, if you come to Nashville, like I'll record some tunes with you. So he was kind enough. I forget his name. It was Ben or something. But he was nice, a really talented guy. He was nice enough to like write some tunes and track them with me. And um, that just like kind of blew my mind. I was like, he's got this setup in his house. Yeah. Like he, you don't need to go to like a professional $3 million studio. Like the, the demos that he recorded were like, they were pretty solid, you yeah. know? Good. Uh, I mean, at that time I was like 16. So like anything at that point would have been solid. But so my folks kind of got me a little studio set up in my house and I started tracking, you know, just like some, some songs. And then in high school, like started tracking like these funny, goofy, like hip hop songs, um, with my buddies and just started getting interested in like making tracks and beats, you know, uh, which in turn, when I, was in Bible college. Like I had, a, I recorded some of my tunes and then when I would go around and play open mics, I would like give away these burned CDs of like the demos that I had. Right. Um, some guy in Seattle heard it. Um, it's like, you, I'd love to, you know, do like a proper demo with you, um, or an, an EP. And then that kind of in turn led to him giving me a job at his studio, sort of like sweeping and, um, this guy named Derek Hoyam, who's just a sweetheart of a man. So I, that got me into Seattle. I moved to Seattle at that point. And this is like, after I'd left Bible college and was kind of start starting to think like, man, I don't know if I want to like make music in the Christian world. You know, like, it seems like you're kind of pigeonholed if you start, if you, if you start getting too popular in this Christian industry. So this Derek, he, he owned this, uh, this Christian record label. And I was kind of like, man, you know, the EP that I came out with, like, it was like half secular, half Christian and, um, slowly started like trying to get out of that world as I was moving into Seattle and, and trying to gig in Seattle and trying to build a fan base of people to just come out to my shows um, that, that sort of all started in Seattle. Yeah. And then, I mean, the first time I saw you actually was you were on Conan in 2000. When was that? 11 maybe? Yeah. It would have been 2011 or 2000. No, it was 2011. Yeah, for yeah. sure. 
And did they, were you on a label at that point? I don't, I don't remember like what, no. how that happened, but. Yeah, it's such a, I mean, it's a long winded story. I'll try to keep it short. I kind of playing around and kicking around in Seattle. I had met <clears throat> this guy named BJ Olin, who he was like managing some bands in town. And I forget like how we connected. I think we connected at like somebody was trying to get him to manage them. And I was opening for them at this, you know, little coffee house show. And I remember somebody coming up and was like, Oh yeah, dude, that's, that's BJ. That's he's, he manages whatever. Yeah. Bars. I think it was the name of the band was Barcelona. And being like a 21 year old kid, I was just like, I had this perspective constantly. And I, I always try to uh, make young artists fear this, but Growing up, there was this emotion of uh, overnight, somebody's going to change your life. You're going to yeah. meet that record producer yeah. or that manager or that executive, and overnight, he's going to change your life. Yeah. You know, and that's like the that's what we always hear. We always hear that about these stories of these rock stars we love. And it's so far from the truth, and it's so <laughs> dumb. Yeah. Especially yeah. nowadays, it's like the dumbest perspective you can have because if your entire career is wrapped up in somebody else's decision, you're like you're you're a slave to them. Right. right. You you know you you should be the person that overnight changes your success, not like some A and R or management company. Um, but at that time, that was my perspective. So I was like, dude, if, man, if I could just get this guy to manage me, bro, and then yeah. he's going to change my life, you know? And one thing that was good that he taught me was how to be economical, how to right. like do shows and like you make a couple hundred bucks from that show. And then you take that couple hundred bucks and you get to the next show, you know, and you sell enough CDs to get to the next show. And I would start touring like up and down the West coast through that. And then at some point, like I had made it far enough down to LA to get some gigs that I booked at this room called, it's called room five. Okay. Um, I think it's still around. It's this tiny little room up above this Italian restaurant somewhere in LA. And, uh, a, yeah, a producer came to the show. This guy, Lior Goldenberg, he came and, uh, saw the show and was like, Hey, you want to, you know, track a record? And, um, I was like, yeah, of course I would love to track a record. And he pulled together this cast of characters that were like, you probably, you know, all of them, I'm sure. Calvin Turner. Yeah, Do you remember I Calvin? Cal oh, I love Calvin. Yeah. Dude. Cal which he's like a SWAT force member now or something <laughs> military or something uh, yeah he's something like that i don't know his exact role but uh he's like not in the doing secret music. service yeah something like nah. that yeah um calvin turner lamar carter do you know lamar drummer I don't, so. I don't think i know lamar yeah lamar is such a stud dude he's an la guy yeah. um and then josh smith you know josh the guitar player i think so josh yeah. josh smith um I think Leroy was connected to Josh somehow, and Josh was playing with Lamar and Calvin in Raphael Sadiq's band. Right, right. I, I don't know how Leroy convinced him to come over, like, you know, three afternoons and just play all these tunes, but they came and tracked 
you know, like five or six tunes for as the rhythm section on this record. And it was like, I mean, at that point, I'm like, my music has never sounded anywhere near this good like a professional rhythm section playing my tunes i was like oh my god and that was was unaware one of the songs in that session they they didn't it was one of the songs from that session but they didn't play on that one the at least the rhythm section didn't play on that one gotcha leor i think kind of he programmed all those drums but josh is definitely on there and uh calvin's on there right right but um that's we tracked that studio version and then uh a different manager that i was working at this is another side story that i could go on for days i had signed with another management company called mbk entertainment um was introduced to them by uh, this this friend of mine and he had given me um i was like we got to do a live set this is like right when youtube was starting yeah. And like people were doing videos on YouTube and like careers were, you know, overnight changing because of this universe called YouTube and social media. And so I was like, we got to do some live videos. So I've somehow pieced together a band in Seattle and my friend Nate Barons, who I, I knew did some video work. I was like, can we do these live videos? Um, I've got, 500 bucks you know and so these guys all came together um out of the goodness of their heart and we tracked these live videos and one of those live videos was was unaware live from my mother's living room oh yeah i've seen that and kind of like overnight at, at that point to me it was like went viral which is what got me on conan and then i mean it hasn't slowed down since then right you know like it was just like yeah. When's the next thing? When's the next going? You know, it took coronavirus to like, to stop it. Down. Yeah, it's like, it's been all the way from then till now. I remember, I think it was my business manager sent me that Conan video. And it, I think at the time we were about to plan bowl live, which is, you know, soul lives annual thing. Yep. And part of what I like to do with every year is bring somebody. I, we, cause it's a lot of it's people we know people we've worked with. And I think I reached out to you via Facebook or something. And I was like, well, Hey was, man, is that what it was? I, I, I or maybe well, I had your had, email or something. We had the same business manager. I was working with, Oh, you were with Padel. Um, okay. Yeah. I was yeah. with Padel at the okay. time. And I think, yeah, he connected us together. That's what it was. You know, then. maybe via BJ or something. Yeah. And, and, uh, it was funny because right in that, like, I was so obsessed with, um, the soul live, like Beatles, uh, tribute oh, yeah, yeah, record yeah. you guys yeah, did. I was soul like, live, yeah. rubber soul live was so stoked about that. And then, um, that tune that, uh, there was a record you guys did with a singer. Yeah. Uh, no place like soul with two songs no place like soul yes dude and that yeah. song uh mary yeah yeah i was so obsessed with at that point so when you when you guys hollered i was i was elated and yeah. i was so nervous for that gig man <laughs> i can't even tell you that's funny <laughs> i did not know that but yeah we, but i remember watching our fans because when i introduced you like you know they hadn't heard you yet and then when and then they just lost their minds when you started singing um, and I think that's been happening for the last like 10 years or so. Um, 
but you know, obviously now you kind of have this, this built in fan base. Um, and like you said, you kind of change up your tours every time, but you've also done a lot of interesting collaborations. I know you toured with Hall and Notes, um, and you've done stuff with people all over the map, but uh, I wanted to ask you if there was one kind of standout, um, moment, whether it's on stage or, uh, or maybe even in the studio or, or with like an idol or, or something that you'd want to share that kind of represents a kind of a pinnacle moment or a turning point for you as a, as an artist. Yeah. I'd, pro- I'd probably harken back to that Conan yeah. taping. You know, that was at that point, such a huge opportunity for me. Um, and that was the moment where I, I think for so long, and I even feel it now too, at, at points, feel like you're like always on campaign. Like you're always trying to convince people to come to your shows and you're always trying to like find the next gig and you're always, you know, it's just business, right? Like that's just the plight of any business. But the, there was a moment there where there was so much business coming that you were like, I can't do, I can't do all this stuff, you know? And it went overnight from like begging people to pay attention to me and my music to, to now, like, it was just a confirming experience. It was just like a confirming moment in time that was like, yeah, I, like I am cut out to do this thing through all my incredible insecurities and fears and, and, you know, leaving the church and like my parents, you know, thinking that I was crazy trying to do this music thing, calling home every like three months asking for a hundred bucks because I was broke in Nevada, you know, to like having that moment that the whole, that you could just at least refer back to, right? Like, yeah, yeah, but I did this mom, check this. I remember it was the first time my folks, it wasn't the first time they ever heard me play music like play live, but it was definitely the most, it was the first time there was anything like secular and that had a stamp on it that they recognized. Does that make sense? Oh, completely. So like, it was like, Oh mom. Yeah. But I'm on Conan. Like I'm playing Conan. She's like, well, and what's funny is my parents are so disconnected from pop culture that like, <laughs> I remember like I opened up for Al Green one time and I, I called my mom like, mom, guess like, I thought that was going to be the one. I right, thought that right, was going to be right. the one that she was like, are you serious? I remember calling mom. I was like, dude, mom, guess I'm opening up for Al Green at the Greek theater. She's like, who's that? like my folks are my folks are so disconnected from like secular pop culture that nothing really gets them excited they're just glad that i'm doing what i love and they're proud i have my my mom is the same my mom doesn't know anything and the Uh, one thing i remember and it was and you know back in the early days i'd always be like hey we're doing this we're doing this festival and she'd be like i'm just glad you're happy you know and then (laughs) and then we opened for the stones and that's when she was like oh the rolling stone that was when uh and i love my mom so much and that both my parents and also this was before like facebook and and then now my dad is all up on everything because he keeps track of he fully watched 
watches your videos and, you know, Marcus King and Derek, Trump, all those guys, he knows everything they're doing now. But back then it was kind of like, I don't know, what is the, they don't know anything. But when we open for the Stones, they're like, we know that, we're coming to that one. Yeah, you know, man. It, yeah. It's kind of funny. Those moments are, those moments are nice with, with your family because the, you know, you go to family reunions and the, the one question is like, so you're still doing music. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like the, the words still the words yeah. the words still yeah, it's like it, oh! well it takes a certain mentality to keep doing it through all i mean some of it really is persistence you know obviously the talent is necessary but the talent isn't nece- isn't gonna always get you to where you can make a living doing it the persistence oh, so is much, the combination yeah it's so much more about consistency than it is yeah. than it is i mean it, there you need to be smart to like you need to have some sort of business prowess and like ability to direct yourself in the right manner but it's definitely the the persistence for sure, for sure that i think wins out man well i hope that we come out the other side of this whole craziness in the world with uh something positive man and i hope that we can we can be in the same room together someday again and make some music if not, oh, I'll man. be FaceTiming you, you know, maybe we'll do do something in with, with Zoom or whatever. But um, <laughs> hopefully we can get out there and start playing again. Well, bro, this is probably the longest we've ever talked in, like, succession. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm, I'm all about it, dude. I'm all about this, like, podcasting revolution that's starting to happen. I'm like, when would I have just sat down and talked to eric krasno for two hours yeah, i mean it yeah. ha- obviously we're in the studio together we're gonna talk but yeah. like focus concentrated time it's i don't know that doesn't happen yeah, it that doesn't often. happen as much it's been really cool connecting with and like most of the people doing this are my friends but um that and it's it's just been it's been cool to kind of i'm learning about so much and about these yeah. people um yeah it's awesome man also, I just had, uh, I was just thinking about the time we were in Cabo together because you were talking about Bro. being in the studio. I mean, that was when I really got to know you, I think. And that was one of the fun, most, one of the most fun few days I've ever had in my life. It was with you and Swati down there. Um, Man, that was so much fun. That yeah. was so, what, what was shishy? <laughs> I think I every time I think I laughed for like a week after I left just about all the like ridiculous shit that happened. Oh, um, man, that like party at the end of the thing in Bruce's suite and that random oh personality showed up. Like, where did this person? How did they sneak into this complex? I know, and we were in when the like we were not near anything. We were no <laughs> in this hotel in this re- remote this the area. Yeah, <laughs> but we had some oh, amazing man. times. I don't think I've ever laughed that consistently for that many days. We we got to do it again, man. Yeah. We got to we got to after this uh, quarantining slows down and this all straightens out. We should uh, yeah, we, will. we should do some sort of family trip. Uh, well, man. that's the whole. Great. Now we got babies, so you know, we got you know, babies, bro. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, I'm gonna call you on some some uh, early fatherhood tips, you know, and we're both gonna have these infants. Or well, I guess yours will be gonna- a year and a half older. About man, it's you're gonna do so well, and I'm I'm so amped for you. You're gonna be a great father. Uh, and if you if you need any any 
If you need to bend anybody's ear, I, I won't. I won't uh, tell you that that I have a doctorate in the right <laughs> choices of fatherhood. Yeah. But uh, I'll give you. I'll give you perspective. Any 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 time you need it. I appreciate it, man. Uh, well, thank you so much for for taking the time, my friend. Yeah, and, dude, it was fun, man. I I, I love you very much, Kraz. Love you too, I, brother. I, I feel very fortunate to have you as a buddy. You too, man. Well, go uh, hug your family, and uh, we'll be in touch soon, my friend. I'd like to thank Alan Stone for being on the show today. Always a pleasure to hang with him and talk with him. And before we end the show, I'd actually like to play one of his original songs. It's actually the first song I ever heard him sing. And I instantly was like, this guy not only has a great voice, but he can write classic material. This one's called Unaware.
Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kras. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time.